Looking for Sally, the podcast, episode five. Happily ever after. The country roads lengthen and narrow in front of the speeding Mustang, going fifteen miles over the speed limit. The light rain has given way to an icy downpour. And the sky turned black over the countryside. Charlie's eyes are red as she stares at the clouds above. Who tricked you into doing it? How could she answer her father? How could she admit she's the monster? She wants to scream, but her voice barely breaks above a whisper. No one. It's me alone. I don't believe you. I can't. The car's suspension has been badly beaten by the bumps in the road, but James is still going far too fast. Charlie clings to her seat. Dad! The car skids to an abrupt standstill, stuck. In the muddy side of the road, the tire keeps on spinning like a mad top in the soggy earth. Fuck! Charlie can't see anything in the pouring rain, but she feels the aftershock of her father's kick to the lodge tire. She feels his rage. Charlie muffles her sobs as James climbs back into the car and sits helplessly behind the wheel. Don't say you're sorry. Just then, two lights appear straight ahead, and the sound of an old engine rises in the middle of the downpour. The rusty pickup's headlights are blinding, and James uses his horn to signal their location. James gets out of the car again and comes face to face with a man in his seventies, wearing a yellow raincoat, waving at him. In the glow of the headlights, the old man looks like a divine. Apparition. Hey, how'd you end up here? We got lost and now stuck. Yeah, well, I can see that. I'm Joe. You're on my property. I'm sorry, James, and my daughter Charlie's in the car. I'm sorry.、Uh, it's、uh, it's okay. Don't worry. Let's see if I can help you get out of here. For the first time in a long time, James accepts the helping hand and allows himself to be guided. Joe secures chains to the rear of his vehicle and beckons them into his car. Slowly, the Mustang is pulled out of the sticky mud and is back on the road. 
I can't thank you enough. Their unexpected savior ushers them into the living room, where a fire is crackling gently in the hearth. James can't wait to get going again, but his body is tired, and his hand is throbbing. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty bad wound there. You should let my wife Liz check that. I can see we have guests, and a lovely young lady. Charlie? Your husband helped us out. We can't stick around, though. You're not seriously thinking about driving with that storm going on. Your clothes need to dry and you need to keep warm. You can stay for the night. Yeah, Liz is right. It wouldn't be safe to leave now. We have a room for the kid. I really don't want to. There's homemade mac and cheese, fresh out of the oven. James and Charlie exchange a look. Their clothes are dripping. The accumulated fatigue of the last few days weigh heavily on their shoulders. And we need to change this wound dressing. An old upright clock in the corner of the living room strikes 6 p.m. Thunder continues to roll in the distance and James gives in. Are you sure you don't want to hang around with us tonight? I really have to study if I want to be admitted. Don't use your evil smile, Ash. Come on, it's probably the last time we'll all be together. The whole gang. You said that last time, too. Don't break my heart again. Ash Stills, get the fuck off my back. I'll take you with the pickup truck. Your father hates it and I know you love it. We'll have a bonfire. Come on, Sally. All right, all right. Eight tonight. Now out of my way. Come on, Ash. This is not the right place for your hand. Oopsie. It won't work. I'm not the jealous kind. Really? Hey, who's coming with us? In the mine? No thanks. <laughs> Are you scared? Come on. Hey, the pretty girl said no thanks. her eyes. The familiar sight of the hotel room ceiling soothes her after the throes of the nightmare. Only three out of the five students made it out of the tunnels that night, 
and she would never forget the hours that followed the tragedy. The endless questioning by the police and the bodies of her friends wrapped in black plastic bags. In the middle of the night, Ash had taken her home and she could still hear his voice, the last words they'd exchange before she decided to leave Boston. What happens in the mine stays in the mine. Why now? Charlie had fallen asleep, overcome by fatigue. But James lies awake on the sofa in the living room where the fire spreads its gentle warmth. The storm has passed now. The night has gone quiet. And all James can think about is what awaits them and when they will be back home together again. We too will have a place like that, honey. I promise. After one last glance at his phone, James slips under the covers and closes his eyes. It's past 3 a.m. when Charlie pokes her head through the doorway. The house is quiet. She has rehearsed her plan dozens of times in her head. She pads quietly into the hallway as lightly as possible so as to not creak the wooden floor. She's dressed and carrying a loaded backpack. The sight of her father, asleep, alone in the living room hurts. But Charlie knows she's the one who has got to go. She grabs her coat off the hallway rack, carefully turns the lock, and pushes open the front door. An owl hoots in the night. Charlie knows she must be quick. She turns on the flashlight of her cell phone and starts walking towards the road. She mentioned that she has a daughter. Eddie, seriously, it's Slay. An addict's lie all the time. I can get this out of my mind. Cop seemed to think she was in danger, and now I think the same. And then? It's none of your business. I keep on having weird dreams. What if I could help? What if I could save her somehow? Hi, come on, stop it. I'm coming to bed. I'm beginning to think you're obsessed with your hitchhiker. Maybe I am. And maybe there's a reason for that. 
The fire slowly burns itself out. James's sleep is disturbed, filled with strange dreams, the taste of earth in his mouth, and that sensation of pebbles scraping his throat. James shivers and realizes that his freezing fingers are not from a dream. A cold draft has entered the living room from the open front door. James rises, stumbles, half asleep towards the door, and pushes it closed. That's when he notices Charlie's jacket is not hanging on the rack. Charlie? Panic sets in. James checks her room. There's a letter on the pillow. I know you don't want me to say it, but I'm sorry. You're better off without me. I don't deserve you. It's your fault, you fucking bastard. In response to his dismay, two red dots replace where his eyes are in the reflection from the mirror. This time, James doesn't look away. The pictures converge in his mind. When are you going to leave us the fuck alone? Do it. Do it now or she'll be mine. It's what you want. You'll get it. You watch. Compelled by an unspeakable rage, James runs down the stairs to grab the poker, still hot from the evening's fire. Then... He climbs back upstairs. The beast swarms and stirs in his gut. Howls. James opens the front door to their host's room. Joe and Liz are fast asleep. James brings the poker down on Joe's skull. Then Liz's. Then again and again. Blood splatters on the pillows and he keeps bringing it down until the bones break and the gray matter drains out. The old lady's face is unrecognizable, crushed, deformed, ripped. James drops the poker, runs down the stairs, and grabs his things. He's there. James can smell his breath But he's not done yet. So he heads for the shed, where tools and supplies too toxic for the house are stored. He grabs a canister of gasoline, paint thinner, anything with a flammable label on it, and pours it inside the little house. Then he reaches into his still damp pocket. Fuck. It's the last match. His hands are shaking badly, 
as James struggles to light it. He throws it into the pool of accelerant, runs out, gets into the Mustang, and peels off. His eyes are riveted to the road, but he knows that red glints are watching him in the rear view mirror. Hope you enjoyed it, fucker. Daylight breaks on the road that seems to lead to nowhere. Charlie adjusts the bag on her shoulders, and if she had glanced back, she would have seen the flames reddening the sky. Please get out. Kid, hey, hey, kid. You shouldn't be out here on your own. We're in the middle of nowhere. I noticed, you idiot. I can drive you to town. Did you get in the car? No, thanks. Come on. Come on, kid. We both need company. Oh, be kind. The man grabs her sleeve and pulls her towards him. Fuck you! I said no! The knife is in her back pocket. She could grab it and stab him. But she hesitates. The man wobbles. Obviously drunk. And she chooses to kick him in the crotch instead. Then, Charlie runs and throws herself into his car. The engine still running. She shifts the gear into drive and hits the gas. I can take care of myself, you drunkard. The man reaches for the door, but Charlie speeds up and leaves him cursing and kicking on that empty street. Her heart is pounding. As the man's silhouette fades in the rearview mirror, an exhilarating feeling overwhelms her. This is so freaking cool. After a few miles, a road sign indicates Leighton. The town was closer than she had thought, but just as she enters the final bend, a raccoon darts out. Charlie swerves, and the car falls into a ditch. What are you gonna do now, little Charlie? A few miles back. Dude, a kid just stole my car. A teenage girl with a star sewn on her backpack. What? How'd you guess? James doesn't look back as he drives on. Soon, he sees the back of a sedan sticking up from a ditch, front doors unseen. A familiar figure emerges from the vehicle, holding on to a damaged door. His blood runs cold. Charlie? Charlie! Charlie bursts into tears. James wipes him away and takes her in his arms. The relief barely eclipses the terror. Charlie, are you okay? I think so. 
Never do that to me again. I'm sorry. Only then does she notice that her father's hands are covered in blood. For a moment, she thinks it's hers and touches her face. Dad. There's blood all over your hands, Dad. It's over now. He's not coming back. Let's go. Boston Police Station. Detective Vincent Harris is buried in paperwork when his chief signals him to pick up the phone. Harris knows it's a sign that trouble is coming. Hello? Yeah, Detective. Officer Sherman here, Seattle PD. I've been told you're the man to reach. Yeah, the boss thinks I don't have enough work. Please, go ahead. Well, we've been looking for this woman, Sally Anderson. She left home one week ago and her husband took off, supposedly to find her. I feel there's a but. Yes, there is. We found traces of blood at their home. And we have a witness ready to testify that the husband abused his wife and kid. That doesn't look good. Nope, not at all. We also have serious leads indicating the wife's in Boston right now. Apparently she was born and raised in Boston, and her sister Grace still lives in Back Bay. We reached her, but she has no news from her sister. Any ideas where she can be? We're currently checking the hotels. And you'd need our help. Sure. Send me what you have. Will do, Detective. I'm really concerned about the kid. Her name's Charlie. She's only 14. I understand. I promise we'll do our best to find them. Charlie remained silent during the three-hour drive to Poughkeepsie. Her father never looked away once from the road gripping the steering wheel so tightly that his knuckles turned white. From time to time, he abruptly twitches, making her jump. Charlie knows it's far from over. Please, Dad, listen to me. He's still here. You know it. We must ask for help. No. It's not us. I'm begging you. We need to make sure. I said no, Charlie. Traffic starts to build as they reach the downtown area. And the Mustang is forced to a crawl. Charlie glances anxiously at the passing cars. But none are close enough for her to call for help. At the end of the street, Charlie sees a building meant for salvation, and gets an idea. It wasn't you, please. Enough. His teeth are clenched. He's sweating. Charlie knows he's struggling. The other guy is too strong. If she doesn't act now, they'll be back on the highway, and it'll be too late 
So without thinking, Charlie grabs the steering wheel and throws him against the sidewalk. Charlie! Calm down, please. It's okay, lean on me. throw up. We're almost there. Is anyone there? Can I help you? Please. I believe my father is possessed. Father O'Neill stares at the teenager and her disoriented father who had just come into his church. James is breathing hard, livid, and sweating despite the cold weather. His irises shine with a golden gleam. Let me talk to him. His name is James. Please help him. Son, can you hear me? So wrong. What's wrong? What do you mean? Bastard. Please, just stay away, kid. Charlie steps back. She's frozen on the black and white checkerboard floor, clutching her pendant and praying as a priest places his hand on her father's pale forehead. Exorcimiste. Omnes umandua spiritus omnes satanica potestas. The priest's voice is a muffled whisper in James's mind, a hiss. Images jumble in his head. Dizziness intensifies. Omnes incursio, infernales aversae, omnes legio. His legs begin to shake uncontrollably. He feels as if his heart is about to give out and his chest will break open to spew out all the pain inside. Omnes congratio, insecta diabolica, adjuramaste. A shriek shatters the peace of the church, but it's not James, it's Charlie. She's been lifted from the ground by an invisible force, floating midair. Suddenly, she falls and lands right at the priest's feet. Charlie? The hotel room curtains are now fully open. Sally's bags are packed and ready to go. The messy room, now neat. Sally takes another anxious glance at her cell phone. Nothing. She tries to focus on sewing her torn coat pocket with the miniature sewing kit that hotels provide. I hope I'm right. Is everything alright, ma'am? Do you want us to bring up your meal today? No, not today. 
My husband will be coming to pick me up any minute. Thank you. Hello? Hello, Sally. I'm sorry, you probably expected someone else. Who are you? You know very well who I am. You'll thank your husband for his help when you see him. If he ever shows up. You can't be. You're dead. Oh, Sally. Yes, it's me. The one and only. And I'm very much alive. Dusk turns the sky red as a Mustang pulls into Back Bay. James is beyond exhausted, and Charlie is delirious with a burning fever. The end of the road. Hang on, sweetie. James carries Charlie to the door, too weak to walk on her own. A light comes on, and a shadowy figure approaches. Jay? What the hell are you doing here? Sally's in Boston. She ran away. I know the police called, but they didn't want to tell me. Why is her cell phone off, and what happened? She had a delirious episode. We came all the way to find her. I need you to take care of Charlie so I can go pick her up at the hotel. Please. What's wrong with Charlie? God, she's burning. She got sick. Set her down on the couch. I'll give her something to break the fever. Look, I don't want to know what's going on between you and my sister or if you fucked up again. Just fix it and leave the kid out of this. I'll bring your mom back. We'll be together soon. I love you, my baby girl. Grace watches him walk back to the car. As soon as the headlights disappear around the corner, she returns to the living room where Charlie is lying on the sofa. Gently, Grace removes her jacket and pulls her sleeves up over her forearms. Her whole body is hot. God, what has he done to you? The scratch marks that Charlie has left on herself are red and swollen. There looks to be a second-degree burn in the same shape as a cross necklace around her neck. Grace stands up, determined. She has to do something. Hello? I'd like to speak to a police officer. I want to report a child abuse. Boston Common Park looks strangely different at night. Dark and empty. All the better for what James is about to do. He undoes the bandage covering his hand with a grimace. 
and pulls open the glove compartment. He takes out a pile of blood-stained wipes. There must be nothing left of what happened at the farmhouse. Sally must never know. He gets out of the car, throws the blood-stained wipes in the park's trash can. Under the light of the street lamps, he examines the wound on his hand. This is over. Back in the car, James sees his flask in the open glove box. Maybe alcohol will help ease the pain. Make things easier. Just one sip. But before he knows it, James has finished the entire flask, and the streetlights all have a pleasant halo around them. He's ready to go get his wife. The Mustang takes off, goes along the park to the main street to the hotel, swerving in and out of lanes as he drives. He parks the Mustang poorly, in the middle of two spots. Honey, I'm home. The receptionist gives him a strange look, but doesn't say anything. James stumbles for the elevators. The elevator doors open onto the second floor. He tries to remember Sally's directions, moves forward. His heart is in his throat. 206. Honey? And Sally is there. Is it really her? She lets him in without a word. Honey, I was so worried. Are you okay? You're drunk, Jay. Uh... I'm sorry, I couldn't. What have you done? Where is Charlie? Charlie is safe at your sister's. She's waiting for us. James grabs the heaviest bag and lifts it up. But Sally doesn't move, staring at him as if she can see exactly what James has been trying to hide. Let's go. How can I be sure it's you? What? Sal, you're losing your mind. Come on. James drops the bag, tries to touch his wife's hand, but she backs off. There's fear in her eyes. Honey, I don't understand. Swear to me that you did nothing wrong. Just stop it, Sally, will you? I love you. I miss you. Let's go now. Come with me. He grabs her arm, and she takes the small sewing scissors from the bedside table and jams it into her husband's neck. She twists it deeper, severing his arteries. James drops to the floor. 
I love you too. <laughs> In Back Bay, the flashing lights of a police vehicle illuminate the inside of Grace's living room. Charlie is awake, but pretends she's still asleep. A dull anger makes her heart pound. So, uh, you got any idea where her mother is? He wouldn't tell me. Do you know the license plate number? No, but you can't miss it. It's a red Mustang. He's so fucking proud of his car. Charlie carefully opens her eyes to assess the situation. One of the cops is standing close with his back to her. The other is with her Aunt Grace at the entrance of the living room. Remember the shooting range, Charlie? Jay has always been unstable, ever since they got married. Are you ready to testify? Stop lying! No, Charlie, no! You fucking bitch! The execution chamber is plunged into darkness. A single neon light sizzles and flickers above the electric chair where someone is sitting. The man begins to stir, shaking his head. At last, Ash Stills opens his eyes. His first breath is painful. The taste of earth in his mouth sickens him. The restraints that held his wrists and ankles are torn off, but the marks remain. And the pain. The cap he wore on his head during the fatal discharge is now on the ground at his feet. Charred, along with the soaked sponge. Ash spits, but it's not saliva. It's dirt mixed with gravel and blood. He rolls up the sleeves of his prison shirt. There's a familiar name tattooed on his forearm. I'm coming for you, Sally. <laughs> <laughs>